This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. Oh, shit! Get your towels ready, it's about to go down! Everybody in the place hit the fucking deck! But stay on your motherfucking toes! We running this, let's go! I'm on a boat! I'm on a boat! Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat! I'm on a boat! Ladies and gentlemen that are addicts of popular culture, welcome to the 200th episode of the new TNN podcast, hosted by Johnny C, who is I. Wow, there are so many people to thank for getting us here. I don't even know where to start. Okay, uh, the first person I want to thank is Johnny C, the second person is Johnny C, and the third person is Johnny C. That's not very funny. That's mean, actually. That makes me sound very conceited. But folks, I, I do really, really want to thank all of you for listening to, oh, I don't know, anything that's ever come across you on this podcast feed. It really means the world to me, and I hope you've enjoyed the hell out of it. So as it is, when we hit these 50-episode intervals, we do a, ve- <clears throat> excuse me, a very special episode of Junk Man, usually. And we try to pick... Movies that sort of make an impact, if you will. And I know I sound like a, you know, fucking beating a dead horse here. Episode 50 was Transformers the Movie, which was awesome. Episode 100 was Rollerball with Chris Klein, Paul Hammond, L. Cool J, and Jean Reno. And hey, welcome always betting on the Rollerball. It was just amazing. Episode 150 was The Passion of the Christ, which is a movie I'm still trying to understand. If you know of any prequels or sequels that were made, graphic novel form, book form, audio drama form, hell, I'll even take a little web video that's made with Flash just to help me understand the plot of that film. Here we are at episode 200. And of course, you've already looked at the title of the show and the show notes, and you know what we're talking about today. Before I introduce it, let's talk about what we're not talking about today. So I had planned this big... Well, I don't know what to call it big, but I plan to basically do, for episode 200, a big celebration of Ballistic X versus Sever, the film from the year, like, I don't know, 2002, 2003, that stars Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu as secret agents that can't possibly get along. And, and when I got that idea in my head, because it has famously like a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't... I don't really put up a lot of faith in Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like the average you're looking at isn't exactly represented of uh, 
representative of the actual critical consensus. Um, I think sometimes positive reviews get calculated that are negative and negative that are positive and vice versa. So whatever. It's okay, though. It's not a conspiracy theory alert on Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. Just, you know. And, <clears throat> excuse me again, for fuck's sake. I went to watch Ballistic X versus Sever, and I noticed there was a problem. Now, I can't believe this is actually the case, but it seems like Warner Brothers might be ashamed of this film. Because it is not available to stream anywhere. Perhaps it's uh, perhaps a director of that film, a gentleman named Chaos. Let me repeat that. Ballistic, X versus Sever, directed by a man known only as Chaos. K-A-O-S. Hello, this is Warner Brothers. Hello. Yes, this is Warner Brothers Discovery. How may I direct your call? Ah, uh, this is Chaos. I'm calling you because I saw... I saw on the TV, my nephew showed me, the Ballistic X vs. Sever is on Netflix, and ah, I, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm Chaos, and I did not give you rights to air film. Well, sir, here at Warner Brothers Discovery, we own the intellectual property list. Oh, so what you're saying is you want Chaos to call you every day. Okay, I'll call you later. 24 hours later. Hello, this is Warner Brothers Discovery. Oh, it's Chaos! Ooh, how are you doing today? Chaos is calling to ask you to take Ballistic X vs. Sever down from Netflix. I wasn't joking. I'll see you tomorrow. But yeah, director directed by Chaos. Unbelievable, this man. But since it's not available to stream anywhere, I went ahead and I bought the DVD, and it's sitting in my hands right now, fully packaged, like it's never been opened. And I appreciate that. It still has all the DVD tags on it, and it really makes me feel special to have it. And I was like, I don't think it's fair to watch something that other people can't watch along with unless they make an auxiliary purchase. So I I probably will do Ballistic X vs. Sever on Junkman sometime. But since it's episode 200, I wanted to do something that's readily available for everyone. And as I was scrolling through Prime Video, I saw a film... And it really jumped out at me. It's a film I've seen once and only once. And given the recent success of Mattel's Barbie bringing toys to life. And Barbie was a tremendous film. Out here, no one say anything, other. It was glorious. Given the success of Barbie and the fact that we live in a world, minor spoilers for Transformers Rise of the Beast, where Hasbro is creating their own cinematic universe, and now Mattel's done their thing. But at Hasbro, they've got the uh, the G.I. Joe Transformers crossover film, which is imminent. Let's take a look at another toy that's been brought to life with 2012's Battleship, based on the popular board game Battleship. Now, I saw this film... Uh, let's see, it came out in May of uh, 2012. Whenever it came out on DVD or streaming, I saw it, and that's the end of the story. So I don't really remember shit from this movie. I really don't, except it does have a cadre of actors that just make me chuckle, but we'll get into that. Battleship 2012, directed by a man named Peter Berg. Not nearly as fun to say as Chaos... But if that name sounds a little bit familiar to you, I believe, and this is just off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure he directed that uh, 
fucking awful Will Smith movie, Hancock, that has like, um, you know, there's supposedly some sort of like legendary long cut out there that's supposed to make it better. I feel like every movie has a longer cut that's supposed to make it better. Uh, But he's also directed, I think he directed Friday Night Lights, the movie as well. Uh, But I know him best, not for his role behind the camera. I know him best for his role in front of the camera where he appeared in 1994's tremendous underrated classic, The Great White Hype, where Mr. Peter Berg portrayed Irish Terry Conklin, the sacrificial white hype, if you will, okay? I love that movie. I drive a Merlot Broham, okay? I, I, I fucking love The Great White Hype. It's just the right amount of parody, the right amount of hilarity, and the right amount of funny things that people say. And it's got a who's who cast. Even Corbin Birdson's in that motherfucker. But I think my... Hmm. I think my favorite gag from that movie is probably uh, Jeff Goldblum's intrepid journalism reporter who like is investigating Samuel L. Jackson as this evil Don King tyrant. And then he has one meeting with him. One meeting with him. Steps out of his jacuzzi and he's like, "Oh, give me the microphone. Get that camera rolling. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to get this interview going so I can talk about what I've experienced uh, and I'm going to tell the truth." And they start rolling the camera and he's like, "Some people say that boxing is racist, but is it racism that defines us? Well, we'll soon know on July 24th when Irish Terry Conklin steps into the ring. Like he he sold out. <laughs> he has sold out. <laughs> he's like, "Have you sold out, Mitchell?" Um. I'm taking the road less traveled by, yes. <laughs> it's glorious. I love that movie. Maybe I should have done that movie. Now, that's a dark director. But as we always do, we talk about the director, who's in this fucker, and then a brief plot synopsis, which is brought to us by the Internet Movie Database. So, our main hero is Lieutenant Alex Hopper, played by no one's favorite actor, also from Friday Night Lights. I've heard. I've never seen an episode of that show or the movie. Mr. Taylor Kitsch, who, of course, famously played Gambit in the abortion that is X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yay for you, Taylor. His co-star appearing as Commander Stonehopper. That's Alex's... Okay, they're brothers. But first of all, his name is Stonehopper, and he's in the Navy. Stonehopper? Like hop like like the way you like flick your wrist and make stone. I mean, come on, man! Someone's asleep at the keyboard with Stone Hopper. Uh, but this um, you know, this American icon and hero, Commander Stone Hopper of fucking Her Majesty's Royal Navy here in the states, is played by Alexander Skarsgård, who is absolutely an American. I promise. This movie will beg you to please believe that. And and hey, look, don't get me wrong. There's nothing like great and glorious about being an American or not being an American. It just is what it is. It's sort of a genetic lottery that you're not in control of, okay? You pop out of the, the, the mom's vagina, and there's some imaginary lines drawn in the sand, and that's, that's what you are, okay? We don't control that. But it's so hilarious. Poor Mr. Skarsgård's accent is fucking taking a walk during this movie, and we'll discuss it. Now, if you don't know who Alexander Skarsgård is, he is pretty awesome in that HBO miniseries, Big Little Lies, okay? You may know him best as Mikus from Zoolander, the guy that says, Earth to Brint. That's right, that guy went on to be a real famous actor. 
But you probably know him from True Blood as well, where I think he played Dos Vampire, the sexy one. <laughs> Come on, they were all sexy. But when you combine Taylor Kitsch and Alexander Skarsgård, not only do you have the Navy's Sexiest Bachelors 2012, but you also have what I like to call the Public Domain Brothers. Why, you might ask? Because each one of these gentlemen uh, featured in a big budget Hollywood blockbuster that tried to start cinematic universes that were both based on characters that are so old they're in the public domain and anybody can write books about them, movies about them, whatever the fuck you want to do. It's like when they made that Winnie the Pooh horror movie that just came out not too long ago. I'm not watching that thing. Good idea on paper, but shoestring budget and and I just, I can't get behind it. It's, it's not pooey enough. But more importantly, uh, Taylor Kitsch was John Carter in Disney's John Carter. Of course, the uh, John Carter from Mars. I can't be bothered to read that shit. And Alexander Skarsgård played Tarzan in the Tarzan movie with Margot Robbie, who's also Barbie. So, say it with me. I like the brand synergy here, people. But these poor guys, they're nobody's favorite actor. Uh, they are not, neither one of these guys are destined to lead any sort of cinematic universe. And when I'll, I'll tell you what, when Alexander Skarsgård showed up in Godzilla vs. Kong, which was not good, okay, uh, I, I was like, fuck. Alexander, like nothing. I think Alexander Skarsgård's talented. Like I do, I really do. But when you've got like sort of a big budget movie and all of your money is going other places instead of your talent roster, Alexander Skarsgård's the guy you grab on the cheap. Taylor Kitsch is the guy you grab on the cheap. And this movie was like a $200 million blockbuster. Released two weeks after the Avengers, mind you. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that one. If I was in charge of a Hollywood studio in 2012... And uh, I thought about releasing a big summer blockbuster in May. I'd say, fuck you. I'm out of here. I'd probably hold off until July, maybe even the middle of June. Or you could go early and do April. You know, let's get people hyped up for the summer movie season early. Let's show them some battleship. Yeah, let's go to war in the oceans. And then you can hang out with your Avenger friends later. It's just a bad, bad choice. But those are our public domain brother heroes. Rihanna. The singer, under my umbrella, you know her. She makes her film debut as Gunner's Mate Second Class. I don't know what those words mean. Cora Rakes. So yay for Rihanna. Hey, I like Rihanna. She was badass at the Super Bowl. So that's cool. Uh, next up, our female love interest for Mr. Taylor Kitsch. We've got Brooklyn Decker, starring as a character named Samantha Shane. I am not trying to shame a Brooklyn Decker. But doesn't that sound like some sort of sex act that your uncle knows about that you don't? Oh, man, I tell you. It's Thanksgiving. And last night was wild. What'd you do? Oh, you know, some of my friends from high school came over. I met their kids. God, they're getting older every day. Yeah. Speaking of getting older every day, I gave this girl a Brooklyn Decker last night. And rounding out our cast... As Admiral Terrence Shane, uh, which is Samantha Shane's, uh, Admiral Terrence Shane is Samantha Shane's uh, dad. Almost said husband. That would have been weird. Another proud American here playing a goddamn red-blooded American admiral in the goddamn American Navy. Liam Neeson, ladies and gentlemen. Quiet God Jid himself. 
a man with a very particular set of skills, uh, is absolutely not Irish at all. Let's take a look at our plot. All right. Two people sit down. They each grab a game board. You get red pegs, white pegs. That's the wrong plot! I'm going to fire my plot guy. All right. This one comes to us from Nick Reganus. I'm sure I mispronounced that. After making contact with a technologically advanced extraterrestrial life form, five alien spaceships penetrate. Ah, yeah, penetrate! Ah, did you hear that? Our solar system and interrupt the 2012 RIMPAC exercise. We'll talk about that. Now the alien armada poses the ultimate threat for all humanity, and the only ones to stop them are the brave crew of the guided missile destroyer USS John Paul Jones and its young commanding officer, Lieutenant Alex Hopper. Off the coast of Hawaii, the fierce and decisive battle for Earth will decide humankind's fate. Can we stop the all-out alien invasion? So, okay, a little deviation from the script in terms of what the game's all about. Sure. Uh, the, now, 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 I'm sure we've all played the game. All right, I'm not going to take the time. But I did take a look at the game pieces, okay? Apparently there was like a version of Battleship that came out in 2012 where one player is the humans and one player is the aliens. And from a kitschy, like the kitschy collector, like gimmicky guy in me actually is like, oh... I kind of want to own the Battleship Movie Edition where the other person grabs the game board and they're expecting to see their fucking car- aircraft carrier and they have a, a funky alien ship. And I'm like, that's right. I'm the good old US of A and you're the aliens, Jack. And you're going down. I'm going to kick your teeth right down your throat. And then the other person just leaves and they're like, fuck you. And slam the door. But in the game Battleship, each player has five different ships that you have to sink. You know, like they did in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You sunk my battleship, the carrier, the battleship, the destroyer, the submarine, and the little dinky patrol boat. That's what my wife calls my, uh, never mind. But, you know, you have to position your ships and then call out the letter and the number J5, hit, or J5, miss. J5, of course, also appears in Blank Man, the legendary cinematic film featuring Damon Wayans and David Alan Greer which recently appeared in Twisted Metal, starring Anthony Mackie, Thomas Hayden Church, with Samoa Joe, and the voice of Will Arnett as Sweet Tooth. Okay, it's a hell of a drug, ladies and gentlemen. How did we get through 200 of these? But that's Battleship. That's all the setup you need. Let's dive in to the depths of the ocean. We start with the Universal Film Studios logo. Okay, that's to be expected. It's a movie. You start with the studio logo. But poor Universal Studios was apparently celebrating 100 years in 2012. And I'm watching this, and it's like, Universal, 100 years. And I'm like, yeah, the studio that gave us Jaws, Back to the Future, amongst so much more. Those are just the things that popped into my head out of nowhere. Also giving us Battleship here in their 100th year. They must be so fucking proud. Uh, Then the on-screen text like Universal Studios presents a Peter Berg film starts to appear on the screen. And I'm not necessarily saying films have to do this, but I like when a big summer blockbuster has like some sort of special text coloring font to, to let me know that I'm really watching a product. You know what I mean? 
Like, even in the Flash, when the Flash logo comes on the screen, you're like, oh, that's the same logo I saw on the posters. It's the same logo on the toys. Like, when the Transformers logo forms, it's like transforms into the word Transformers. But when it says, like, a Michael Bay film, it's always the same font. There's, like, a metallic sheen to it, and it kind of feels robotic. I was looking for a little bit more brand synergy from the Battleship on-screen text. All it did was remind me of Papyrus. The font from the Avatar poster, which of course reminds me of the fa- famous, fantastic papyrus sketch from Saturday Night Live with Ryan Gosling, which of course reminds me of Barbie. Folks, I'm liking the brand synergy here. Like all great films do, it begins with on-screen text. There's a scroll, people! And I have the opening scroll for all of you. In 2005, scientists discovered a distant planet believed to have a climate nearly identical to Earth. In 2006, NASA built a transmission device five times more powerful than any before it, and a program to contact the planet began. It was known as the Beacon Project. Now, this Beacon Project. When the scroll's done and we've had enough time to read it, all the other words fall apart and fade away. The words, The Beacon Project, in all capital letters, remain on the screen and get a lot of attention. I'm betting you 20 bucks that I don't have and can't physically give you that this movie was some sort of a spec script or a script for a movie called The Beacon Project that was about the Navy fighting aliens that that got bought and turned into Battleship. And this is a little Easter egg for the three people that know about it. I can't prove it. I found no evidence to this. But I'm thinking this this is we're really watching a movie called The Beacon Project here. But, you know, w- what do I know? We cut to the Himalayas at the Beacon Project Command Center. There's a doctor explaining to the media what he's about to do, which is turn on the communications device to talk to this unknown planet, hopefully. And the movie stops for all like the movie knows that we bought a ticket for a movie called Battleship where the Navy fights aliens. So they explained the the concept of Goldilocks planets to us, okay? Complete with an on-screen computer demo of what a Goldilocks planet is. Now, I I didn't know the term Goldilocks planet. I don't know if it's a real thing. But as soon as I heard him say the phrase Goldilocks planet, I was like, oh, I get it. But God damn it, this movie. It's like, you know, a Goldilocks planet. You know, there are some planets that surround a sun uh, that are too far away from the sun. And the planet's too cold. But then there are some planets that are too close to the sun. And the planet's too hot. But when a planet is just the right amount distance from the sun, the temperature's just right and life can thrive. And that's what we found, according to this, you know, Beacon Project opening scroll. And they're about to blast the a big radio signal into space towards where this planet is located. Now, the doctor lovingly calls this planet, Planet G. I guess Planet X was taken, but Planet G sounds like some sort of awesome secret uh, Japanese Godzilla film you're just now hearing about for the first time. Uh, The Himalayas Command Center says that they're going to activate giant satellite dishes in Hawaii, because this movie takes place in Hawaii, that are going to broadcast the signal. Uh, As the doctor continues off screen, there's a technician who's like, you know, remember when Columbus discovered America? 
and fought the Cleveland Guardians. Well, us sending this radio signal out into space, the space people are Columbus, and this time we're going to be the Cleveland Guardians. (laughs) We cut to the satellite dishes in Hawaii. They turn it on, and a giant radio wave laser. Now, I don't know anything about radio waves or Wi-Fi waves or fucking sound waves. So, Starscream, Astro Train, we need you to take off. This is sound wave. I don't know about that sound wave. But I don't think we should get a visual representation of this signal being broadcast into space. To make it worse, the laser from Hawaii shoots a satellite in space, and the satellite shoots a laser into the great unknown towards planet G-Spot, looking to bring the human race pleasure by making first contact. Unbelievable we're getting a radio wave laser in the movies not only a minute old people. I think we're in for a treat. Leaving the icy cool of space, we're back to the warm, beautiful, tropical Hawaii in a fucking hole-in-the-wall bar where we finally meet our heroes, Alex and Stone Hopper. Uh, we're having ourselves a little birthday get-together. Alex, of course, Taylor Kitsch. Uh, Stone, of course, uh, Mr. Skarsgård himself. And I promise I won't do too many Swedish chef impressions uh, because Stone is a red-blooded American. He's not Swedish at all. Uh, but when we first meet them, they're, they're doing shots. And uh, Stone, Mr. Skarsgård's kind of doing... So to cover up his accent, he's doing Stone with sort of like a cowboy. But this cowboy comes and goes like it's nobody's fucking business. For example... Before they take their shot, uh, he gives a little toast. And he's like, oh, bro- <laughs> well, brother, I'm wishing you success in all your endeavors. It's so fucking hilarious. And hey, there's, I'm not trying to shame Alexander Skarsgård, all right? But it's just so funny when it slips out. It just it makes me chuckle. Because that's what you get when you hire Mikas. It's just going to happen. Brooklyn Decker walks into the bar, which sounds like a bad joke. And she orders a beer and a chicken burrito from this uh, Mr. Carosi-esque bartender. And this guy, the bartender's like, uh-oh, sorry, hot stuff. The kitchen is closed. And he slams his microwave shut. Okay, this, this would never happen in reality. This guy is not only going to make Brooklyn Decker a chicken burrito, but he's going to give it to her for free. Now, Alex, Mr. Taylor Kitsch, is drunk off his ass, and Stone's been giving him the fucking runaround about, like, okay, well, uh, you need to get a job. How come you don't have a job? You're living on my couch while I'm baking Swedish cookies. Why are you living on my couch? Alex sees a Brooklyn Decker in peril, and he leaps to the rescue. He's a lovable loser without a job. Like, he... We've seen this character archetype a trillion times. He's going to go from loser with a heart of gold to, you know, guy in charge with a heart of gold who doesn't play by everybody else's rules. But maybe we need some people that don't play like the rules in the Navy. Maybe we need some of those people that just get up every day and they don't know if they're coming or going. But by God, when aliens come, we need them. Before he goes to talk to Brooklyn Decker, he's like, Hey, man, how do I look? Stone says, Hey, come here, let me get a good look. Slaps him, and he's like, You look great. 
Uh, he discovers that the problem is that uh, Brooklyn Decker can't get a chicken burrito. She's like, this guy won't make me a chicken burrito. And I often get surprised when I'm making podcasts and watching content for making podcasts, but I didn't expect to be surprised by the screenplay. Well, I expected to be surprised by the screenplay, but not in a positive way. Because the screenplay finds a way to use the phrase chicken burrito as a verb. As uh, Alex looks at the bartender and says, Johnny, chicken burrito her. Impressive. He's like, hey, hey, pretty lady, what's your name? I'm hungry. Alex looks perplexed. That's not a name? With a question mark on the end. (laughs) Okay, like, I'm, I'm, this archetype of a character is, is lazy. Okay, but Taylor Kitsch has a little something every once in a while that makes me chuckle. This statement as a question was one of them. He's like, I'll tell you what, pretty lady. You stay right here. In five minutes, I'll get you a chicken burrito. So he leaves. He leaves the bar. He goes to the convenience store across the street that is closed. He's trying to get in. The lady's like, nope, I'm locking the door. You're fucked. So then we cut to something that actually made me laugh pretty pretty decently, okay? The Pink Panther theme starts playing, and we cut to security cam footage of the inside of the convenience store, like multiple security cameras. And we watch Taylor Kitsch fall through the ceiling because he's broken in here to microwave a chicken burrito for a Brooklyn Decker. Now, I'm a little angry that I laughed at this scene because it is pretty funny. He, like stumbles around, he microwaves the burrito, he like leaves money on the counter, then he climbs back up into the ceiling with a ladder that he comically grabs and slams around, and then falls through a second time. I, this was pretty funny. And then I learned after the fact that this is based on some meme video that actually happened, and that makes it not funny. I was disappointed. The Pink Panther song is funny. But, you know. He leaves through the uh, the ceiling, the cops show up, Brooklyn Decker and everybody from the bar is watching the police try to arrest Alex. He's like, hey, hey, pretty lady. Hey, what you doing over there, pretty? I got your burrito. But he gets tased. He crawls towards Brooklyn Decker, inching forward. Your burrito. And he does some, like, Shia LaBeouf Transformers 1 physical gags. This movie really wants to be Transformers, by the way. Fucking, you would have thought Michael Bay Jr. directed it. He gives Brooklyn Decker her burrito. He gets tased a third time, or a second time. But it appears that there's some electricity between Gambit and Brooklyn Decker. Ooh. Cut to Alex in a cold bath. Stone's giving him the fucking runaround again. You know who that is? That's the Admiral's daughter. The burrito girl is the Admiral's daughter. He's like, Alex, you're a loser. You have $26 to your name. Or excuse me, you're 26 years old and you have $65 to your name. You're living on my couch. Well, I'll tell you what, Stone. Being 26 ain't bad. Sleeping on the couch, kind of shitty. But $65 in 2011, when they made this movie, is like $350,000 today. So that's not too bad. Stone, though, is ready to lay down some new ground rules. And he says, there's a new dynamic in play. Of course, it's Alexander Skarsgård. It's, there's a new dynamic in play. It's time for a game change. Alex, you're in the army now. 
And he's like, I'm a weasel. I can't be in the army now. Okay, fine. You're in the Navy now. You're going to come join me in the Navy. Smash cut to the words, Battleship. Now that is a cold open. Sometime later in Hawaii, we get lots of Michael Bay pornography shots of battleships and aircraft carriers docked in Pearl Harbor. And a voice comes over and says, It's time for RIMPOC, or excuse me, RIMPAC 2012. RIMPAC is apparently a Pacific Rim sort of uh, gathering of various naval fleets that is a real thing where navies from around the world uh, get together and play some war games with one another to stay sharp. Now, a lot's been made about why we're fighting aliens in this movie. I get... I get the fact that you don't want to... Like, especially in the modern day, you, you really don't want to create, like, a fictional war between two nations. Because once they start firing on each other, that's war. It's not an isolated incident, unless nobody hears about it. Perhaps a better script would have two ships at war. It, it, you know, but the thing is, is that it's, it's at least an excuse to get, like, all these fucking navies in one place at one time for some battleship action. So that at least makes sense. And at least it's a real thing. But with 14 different navies in one place at one time, I'm afraid there's probably going to be a shortage of volleyball courts because we all know these fuckers play some volleyball when they're higher, hanging with the boys. But this voice is like, it's time for the Rimpack Cup 2012 finals. Because at this event, there is a football or soccer match, like a soccer World Cup between the 14 different navies. And the finals is the United States versus Japan here in Hawaii. Actually, here at Pearl Harbor, to be a little more precise. <laughs> Screenplay. But what I find even more egregious here is not the fact that it's a Pearl Harbor-esque conflict in Pearl Harbor that's just a soccer game, but this soccer game is narrated by some sportscasters that are here, you know, broadcasting the game to someone, somewhere. Who's watching this? This is even more egregious than movies like The Mighty Ducks, where there's like a commentator for the Pee Wee Minnesota Hockey League. I know it's Minnesota. It made a little more sense in Mighty Ducks 2 because they were at the Junior Goodwill Games. But I don't understand. Who's prepared to commentate this match? The commentators have all this information on the team, the various teams. It's like, oh yeah, you know, the USA striking call is a little bit intense. Uh, but the goalkeeping by our team Japan, uh, you know, it's second to none here in the RIMPAC 2012. Yeah, it's fine, I guess. Now it's the second half of the big final match between USA and Japan. And I get, I bet you guys won't believe who Team USA's hot shot forward is, huh? Of course it's Alex. Uh, his brother Stone is the stu- stuffed shirt goalkeeper, so there, there's some on-point brand synergy there. And, and you know, I was, I was watching this, and I'm thinking, these guys, first of all, they don't look anything like brothers, but whatever, that's fine. I was like, maybe they're adopted. Maybe they're the Hoppers because they were adopted by a lovely same-sex couple uh, that raised them, and they just took on uh, characteristics of their parents, their two dads. You know, my two dads, my two dads. 
Uh, since they're the Hoppers, their parents, obviously, uh, Dennis and T.L., and Stone takes after Dennis. He could be a little hard as nails, uh, tough love type of guy. And uh, Alex takes after TL because he's just the drizzling shits. I'll see myself out now. Now, everybody out here has nice uniforms because, like I said, this fucking thing is organized. It is World Cup level. But there's one player on Team USA that is not conforming to the standards and practices of the USS Naval Rimpack football team uniforms. And that's... Ladies and gentlemen, Rihanna! And hey, I'm all for nonconformity. Because she's got like a sleeveless t-shirt and a bandana on so she can look like Rihanna. Rihanna the character, the performer character. Uh, and that's cool. Like, Johnny C doesn't have a problem with it. But this is the Navy, guys. I don't, I just, I don't believe for a second that the stuffed shirt Navy would allow someone to compete in a non-regulation uniform. Yeah, well. Brooklyn Decker's in the stands, watching, cheering on her man, because based on the chicken burrito-based shenanigans, they are now an item. Oh, and Alex has a haircut, too, because he joined the military, so that's a thing. But you got to imagine that everybody in the Navy hates Brooklyn Decker and Alex, right? Because it's like the hot admiral's daughter is dating the hot, sexy, loser Navy guy. Like... In a different movie, I could... Well, yeah, in a different movie, I could see Alex being really, really dumb and getting into some frat-like shenanigans talking to people while they're drinking. Like, hey, I know Brooklyn Decker's hot and everything, but what do you see at her? And him being like, oh, yeah, she's great, but, you know, her dad's the admiral. And after we're married and her dad dies, I get to be admiral. Because, you know, the hot guy marries the girl and he's like, when her dad dies, I get to run the store, man. That's how the Navy works, right? Alex scores a goal, so it's 2-1. to one. He gives Brooklyn Decker a big sloppy, sweaty kiss. I can't imagine she was happy with that. But we go to stoppage time. We're past the 90th minute, and Alex breaks away, and he's on sides. He's going to shoot! Is he going to score? Well, no, because we're about to introduce Alex's rival from Japan. So we meet a Japanese player here who accidentally Pele kicks Alex in the face before he takes a shot. I don't know how you accidentally Pele kick someone, but that's fine. Uh, the gentleman's name, the character's name, is Yuji Nagata. No, I didn't make it up. That's his name. Shades of the WCW superstar, who I imagine is probably like a bigger superstar than that small stint I remember him in in uh, WCW. And that's fine. But I was like, Yuji Nagata? He's a WCW superstar! Now, after this Pele kick to the face, Alex gets a penalty kick, and Stone's like, Hey, brother, uh, let's have someone else take the shot. And Alex is refusing, but he's clearly concussed. He's like, nah, man, I got this. Come on, come on, I gotta take you out of here so we can have someone else take the shot. Ah, that's okay, pretty, pretty, I'm gonna take the shot. Hey, 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 Stone, are you so loud? I'm gonna take this penalty kick. Shh, it's okay. It's okay, you go over there. I'm gonna take the shot. Alex, I don't think I. No, pretty, pretty, it's cool. I got it. I got it. He lines up for the penalty kick and shoots! And the ball sails totally over the goal like it's comical. I think it even bounces off a car like pung! And Japan, ladies and gentlemen, have won the Rimpak World Cup. You know, 
with 14 nations around like this, I understand that there's a Rimpoc World Cup, but do you think there's like a Rimpoc Street Fighter tournament going on here? And I don't mean like an eSports tournament where they sit down and play Street Fighter. I mean like an actual in-the-streets, like, fighting-each-other competition. And some announcer's like, up next, the fighter from India versus the fighter from USA. And out walks Guile? Oh, but Guile's in the Air Force, though. He's not a naval aviator. God damn it. Uh, as we wrap up this discussion of the Rimpok World Cup, it's it's great because Alex walks away in slow motion defeated, and the announcer, who we've discussed, is like, oh my goodness, it was a very poor attempt by the obviously injured Alex Hopper. He refused to come out of the game, and his stubbornness cost the United States. I wish this guy just would have kept going. His stubbornness cost the United States. I also hear there's no way his girlfriend's dad's going to approve of his intentions to marry. I've heard also, rumor pray tell, that he likes to stick things in his butt. And that's okay, but the things he likes to stick there are really weird. For example, I heard that one time he stuck a nightstick up there. Well, that's not too weird, Bob. That's kind of like a penis. That's right, Earl, but the nightstick was covered in ants. Whoa! And we'll just leave on this note, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, the Japanese have taken Pearl Harbor. Smash cut the sunset on the beach. Alex and Brooklyn Decker are having sexy time, and he's getting a pep talk as to how to ask uh, Liam Neeson for permission to marry her. It's very much Shades of Armageddon, where they're like, Watch the gazelle as he goes north to the boobs, and then the cheetah goes to the vagina. Oh, Ben Affleck, do you think there's a chance that anyone in the world is doing this exact same thing at this exact moment? Oh, I hope so, Liv Tyler. Or else what the hell are we trying to save? I don't want to close hair. I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, babe. And I don't wish I miss a thing. Up in space, the laser continues to broadcast, and a giant spaceship flies towards the camera. The next day, on the USS Missouri, the Mighty Mo, Liam Neeson is giving a speech to launch the games. Of course, Alex and Brooklyn Decker are late. So I guess the USS Missouri is an old battleship that's now a museum. I guess battleships aren't a thing from doing some research. Some kid, as Alex runs by, is like, Hey, mister, what's the difference between a battleship and a destroyer? And even though Alex is late, trying to impress Liam Neeson, he's like, Oh, well, kid, you see, the movie's called Battleships. I'm going to take a second to explain what a battleship really is. So, battleships were really cool, but like dinosaurs, they're kind of old, but they were built to take hits. But now we have destroyers, and destroyers dish it out like the Terminator. Then he goes to the speech and tries to duck walk right in front of Liam Neeson. So he doesn't see him sneaking in to get information. And you know, when I say duck walk, he doesn't walk like a duck. Like he walks. Like, okay, you're standing on a platform giving a speech. And, you know, you might not be able to see what's going on in the 40th row. But you can see what's going on in the first row. And Taylor Kitsch walks by and ducks. Like, I don't think he can see me. He can see you, babe. Oh, that's okay, pretty pretty. He can't see me. It's all right. What's the... It's cool. Uh, he sees him, by the way. And he disrespects some vets 
Some fucking USS Missouri vets are sitting in the front row. I mention them only because they'll be important later, but the sneaky duck walk does allow some noodling guitar to appear on the soundtrack, so I'll, I'll, I'll appreciate that. Liam Neeson introduces all the countries, and ladies and gentlemen, Jesse Plemons is here! Is that the guy's name, Jesse Plemons from Breaking Bad? He's married to Kirsten Dunst. Uh, I like this guy quite a bit. I think he's great. In this movie, he's like comic relief. He's one of the boat drivers, and they're introducing the different nations, and he's saying hello in their native tongue. They're like, Japan. Liam Neeson's like, introducing Japan. Konnichiwa. Introducing Australia. Good day. Okay, it really, it's not funny, but, it, it, well, it's okay. But I, I like Jesse Plemons, man. Uh, he was on that show with the Scarlet Witch on HBO Max where they had an affair, and Scarlet Witch is like, Hi, would you like to have an affair with me? And he's like, Um, okay, we can do that. It's it's great! You know, and then she kills his, his wife, but, you know, it was in self-defense, allegedly. Um... Cocktail hour after the speech. Liam Neeson is shaking hands with people, and he's talking to Brooklyn Decker, his daughter, while the brothers are uh, debating whether or not now is a good time to ask for her hand in marriage. There's a great moment because the brothers are talking, and their their conversation hits a pause, and Liam Neeson's in the background, and he takes over the audio track, and he's like, allow me to introduce you to my daughter, Sam. She's a physical therapist, which is just really sloppy delivery. It's important we know she's a physical therapist because the next time we see her, she's going to be walking into a physical therapy clinic. But the screenplay, man. Yuji Nagata shows up to talk shit to Alex. Uh, you know, they, they get into a fight eventually in the bathrooms on one of the ship, and they get caught. They get called in front of Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson's like, No, I'm a goddamn USS Admiral. I'm a red-blooded American like the rest of ye. But what was going on in that bathroom? And Yuji Nagata says that uh, they tripped over one another, and that's why they got hurt. It was comical, like Jerry Lewis movies. And one of Liam Neeson's subordinates fucking yells, Jerry Lewis, you kidding me? Someone wrote this dialogue. Everybody leaves but Liam Neeson and Alex, and, you know, the Admiral gives him the typical shit. He's like, you know, Alex, much like yourself, I was born in America. And much like yourself, I'm a very smart man, just like you. But unlike you, Alex... I am not a loser, and you are. You have all the intelligence, but none of the drive. I don't know what my daughter sees in you. He starts quoting Homer, not Simpson, but the ancient poet. And Alex finishes the quote, and Liam Neeson with a dynamite line delivery here. Because Alex finishes the quote, and Liam Neeson just stares at him, takes a beat, and he goes, The fact that you know that infuriates me beyond words. <laughs> Which is a great thing to say to somebody when they sort of match you intellectually, but they're a piece of shit. You got anything to say to me, boy? Otherwise, I need to get back to being a goddamn American. And Alex says nothing. All right, we'll enjoy the games. It's probably going to be your last. And then we cut to day one of the Rimpok exercises. So... Let's lay some groundwork here. These are these are naval war games. Not a lot to, you know, I'm not going to jump into all this shit and what have you. Uh, but we do need to lay some groundwork about how the naval ships are set up for the rest of this movie, okay? So there's a large fleet, which is irrelevant to this part of the story, but there is an, there's one aircraft carrier. Liam Neeson is in charge of this aircraft carrier. It's the USS Ronald Reagan, 
All right. Now we see uh, he, he like orders ships to take off. He's like, begin the goddamn American exercise. And, and we cut to a bunch of, of, of naval jets taking off of the fucking poop deck. And this movie has the audacity to show a montage of uh, fucking F-10s or whatever the fuck they are taking off, well, they're not F-10s, of, of fucking jets taking off of an aircraft carrier to ACDC and not Kenny Loggins. Now, on another side of the water, I don't know much about fucking water and Navy and shit, but out there in the, in the ocean running an exercise close to the rest of the fleet, but there's like three ships that are a part of the exercise right now that everybody's watching. We've got the USS Samson, which is a destroyer. Um, now, I, I think this is named after some Greek Samson, but it could be named after that hit song. You know the one. I want to talk to Samson. Fly me to the moon like that bitch Alice Crampton. Because it's hard being black and gifted. Sometimes I want to throw it all down and get lifted. You know, I want to talk to Samson. Uh, but Stonehopper is the captain of the ship. And he's all like, all right, everyone. I'm a rough and tough tumbling cowboy. Uh, we've got the JDS Miyoko, which is a Japanese destroyer captained by Yuji Nagata. And the last ship is the USS John Paul Jones, which is a guided missile destroyer. Alex is on this ship, and he's in charge of the weapons room. Like, he orders the people in the weapons room to make to do shit when the captain orders them to fire weapons and, and what, what have you. So, three ships, three destroyers, Yuji Nagata, Stones, and Yuji Nagata's the captain of one, Stones the captain of the other, and Alex is the weapons guy on the third one. Now, all the captains start giving instructions to their crew, and their the speeches are cross-cut. Stone's like, now, we're here to learn some very cool things today. Cut to Alex. We're not here to learn today. We're here to grow as a Navy. We're here to crush the other navies. Uh, but a copper, a copper, a chopper comes and picks up Alex and takes him to Stone's ship. And Stone's like, well, I just got off the phone with the Jag. Saturday night's on CBS. And it looks like you're going to get kicked out of the Navy when we get back from Rimpok. More speeches about Alex's potential. Shades of Camp Nowhere. Stone's all like, you know what, Alex? You've got such potential. Now we smash cut to a naval rehabilitation physical therapy clinic. We see lots of uh, Navy vets that are, you know, uh, some are rehabbing injuries. Some are, are learning how to use, like, their artificial limbs and what have you. And we talked about how this movie has, like, fucking Navy ship porn. How, you know, the camera loves to fucking run up and down the poop decks of these ships and give us some nice shots. Well, the director is having some fucking artificial limb sex with us. And look, I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying, this has nothing to do with actual artificial limb use. Like, I'm not, it's just, it's a weird thing, because we see, like, 14 different models of artificial, and it's like, hey, show me one, I get it, all right? I'm a human being, I live in the real world, I know what artificial legs are. I think it's awesome that they're here, and what have you, but, like, come on, man. Just, you know, shave a little bit off that run time. Now, Brooklyn Decker walks in, because she's a PT, we know, and she's absolutely not dressed for physical therapy. She's got a tank top that barely covers her sports bra, which is fine. Like, I, like you dress how you want, all right? We, as a society, need to fucking lay off. But, as a person who's lived with physical therapists for a long time, 
I can tell you they don't dress like this when they go to work. Guaranteed or your buddy back. So the reason that we're at this physical therapy clinic is not only to show us what Brooklyn Decker is up to in her day-to-day life, but Brooklyn Decker and this character we're about to meet are going to have a side quest during this movie. So we've got to, of course, introduce the characters. So we meet Mick, a gentleman who is indeed a true double amputee in real life, played by a gentleman named Gregory Gadsden, who is a real veteran of foreign conflicts with real legitimate injuries. And so we we meet him, and he's in like a mocap room, like he's fucking Andy Serkis. Oh, look, I made it rain. I kind of like Andy Serkis. Uh, but they're sort of like mapping his movements so they can help him learn how to use his new um, prosthesis, okay? And this Gregory Gadsden, I-, I appreciate the authentic casting. Like, I really do. In the, and it's too, you know, but the, I kind of feel twofold about the scenario. On one, I really appreciate it because this character, Mick, is kind of one note in a way that he's like, um, he's angry about what's happened to him. I used to be a soldier. I'm only good as a soldier. I can't be a soldier now, etc., etc. And, and this guy really pulls from his pain. And and he he delivers a good performance with that one note, but it's very one note because the guy's not a professional actor. And that's okay. I, you know, the authenticism goes a long way. So I'm not going to say an unkind word. Lord knows this person's made sacrifices. The one note's very good. The other, not so much. Uh, Brooklyn Decker suggests they go on a hike. And I only mentioned this because, two, well, two reasons. One, it may explain the outfit choice of Brooklyn Decker. But two, it gets them where they need to be out near the communication center because uh, they're hiking on the same mountain kind of a funny moment you know mick is out there with his double prosthesis and he's like ah this this fucking hike ain't shit my goddamn dog mustard could climb this mountain oh you have a dog that sounds like fun and mustard's dead he got hit by a dump truck oh i'm sorry Eh, it was a long time ago i got over it but that's sort of all you need to know about mick um you know, Samantha gets a call from Alex saying, Oh, baby, baby, pretty, pretty. I'm so sorry. I, I kind of fucked things up when I talked to your dad. But, ah, you know, it's cool. I'm I'm really handsome, pretty, pretty. I'll I, I fix the problem. But doesn't share with her the details. Now we cut to the giant ship in space. And it's clear to us now that it's f- actually five giant ships in space. Because this one, like, mass that's flying towards Earth breaks apart into five very distinct pieces. The doctor from the Beacon Project uh, sees this on his radar. And and guess what he does when he sees five unexplained objects heading towards Earth's atmosphere, towards Hawaii, where the signal is being broadcast from. Guess what he does? I'll give you a second. If you chose, he spikes the camera and with a sense of both wonderment and dread says, My God. Then you are correct. You win the obvious movie experience contest. And this is where we start to learn how the real world will deal with the events of aliens invading because we're going to be cutting between three distinct locations where the decisions are being made, what's going to happen uh, with these aliens and how the public is going to feel about it, okay? We've got the Doctor and the Beacon Project, all right? And then we eventually uh, 
meet the guys who run the communication center in Hawaii. They look like the real rejects, the YouTubers. At least the main character does. He looks like the main real rejects guy. I think his name's Greg. Congratulations, Greg, for the real rejects. Uh, and then we'll meet the government as well. So we'll have the doctor, the real rejects in Hawaii, and the government, you know, going back and forth, responding to the alien invasion. Now, of the five alien ships, they have three, like, attack destroyer vessels. They have one mothership, and they have one communication ship. So now we all know the score of who's got what. The four ships I mentioned first, the mothership and the destroyers, land in the Pacific and stay submerged near Pearl Harbor. However, uh, the alien behind the wheel of the fifth ship is probably that little Martian pilot from Space Invaders who's always high, like, Hey, man, I'm just a Martian with sunglasses on, man. I don't know how to fly a ship when I'm on Earth, dude. That's a deep pull if you've seen Space Invaders. But it crashes into a satellite. I think it's a Wayne Tech satellite. That's an Easter egg for all you Batman v Superman fans. Um, and it crashes. The, the, the communication ship uh, starts to crash down on the Earth way off target. Okay. And I think this is going to make Great Britain happy uh, that they unloaded Hong Kong. Because we cut to some on-screen text that reads, Hong Kong, China. And I'm not a geopoliticist, but I'm sure that someone's uh, not pleased that it says that. And Shades of Armageddon, the communication ship, falls. All these metal shards fly into Hong Kong. I think they destroy, like, the Bank of Hong Kong Tower. Uh, there's lots of slow motion running and screaming and people dying. It's kind of like Armageddon, and it kind of looks like Transformer cause every Transformers because everything is very metal. Well, not metal like, oh man, people are dying and I love it. Satan is for me and I think it's hugging time with Satan. He's my main man. I think I'm going to love him when I'm on the can. Taking shits because he gives me the power. I love Satan every hour, every hour. That's metal. Okay. This is where we meet the uh, Secretary of Defense who's in the Pentagon. And folks, do you want to know who plays the Secretary of Defense in Battleship? It's character actor Peter McNichol. Who you probably know best as Janos, the little guy from Ghostbusters 2, who gets taken over by Vigo. He's like, oh, command me, Lord. Oh, Vigo the Carpathian. Oh, yes, command me, Lord. I don't like your painting. My name is Janos. Vigo. Oh, command me, Lord. I love this guy. I love this guy so much. Hey, do you want to know something funny about Peter McNichol and his uh, obsession with his Ghostbusters 2 character? In order, and I got this from his Wikipedia page, in order to help motivate Janos, the little art director that becomes a villain, uh, this guy hails from the fictional nation of Carpathia, this character does. And he, this actor, Peter McNichol, drew the national flag of Carpathia, which is, quote, a snake stepping on a man. And he invented a national motto where all consonants... Are the, uh, are, are, are the letters used in the national motto because he believed that Carpathia was too poor to afford vows. This guy's a comedian. A and he based the local economy of Carpathia on firewood. Now, I don't know why I went to the hassle of telling you all that, but it's, it's just a little thing that I like. Um... You know, he's all like, oh, Vigo, what's happening to these, uh, to, in the, with, the, with the aliens? Well, what's going on? And it's basically, well, sir, we sent a signal into space, and it looks like they answered. The mothership starts to get hot underwater. Well, I've gotten hot underwater, too. And Liam Neeson is all like, hey, Rami Malek, you're, you're not famous yet. Get over here and tell me what's going on. Because, yeah, 
Academy Award winner Rami Malek is on the destroyer, or excuse me, the aircraft carrier with Liam Neeson sort of being his guy in the chair. That's fun. And uh, he orders that the three destroyers, you know, uh, the brothers and the Yuji Nagata, go head towards the site of impact to investigate. What's going on out in the American waters? As a goddamn American citizen, I want to make sure our American borders are safe. And so, Remy Malik, you two who are an American, I want you to order everyone to go fight those aliens, even though I don't yet know they're aliens. Now give me a goddamn American cigar. Stone is on his ship trying to see what the hell is going on with his binoculars, but he's interrupted by motherfucking Jerry... Ferrara, or whatever the fuck his name is, the dude that played Turtle from Entourage? Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah, yeah! This dude's in here for one scene. He's like, ah, yo, Captain Captain E, sir, something's going on with the radar, yo, bro. Can you come looks at it? Come on, can you look at it now? I want to watch Men Ian. Yo, my bro Vinny chases Aquaman. Maybe we should call him. Fucking loser. But they can't see anything on the radar. Like, it's, it, it, it's busted. And the three big ships, the alien ships, are still submerged. But the little tip, the rib tip of the mothership is hanging out. And so they send the patrol boat out to investigate. You know the patrol boat, the little boat battleship with just the two holes? And on this little boat is Alex, Rihanna, and a new character named Beast that kind of looks like E-Honda from Street Fighter. Uh, Rihanna, by the way, is manning a motherfucking Gatling gun like she's Jesse the Body Ventura from Predator. So they get to the the little ship thing, and they have no idea what it is. Just no idea whatsoever. So, of course, fucking Taylor Kitsch jumps on it. It kind of looks like it's a big silver monolith from that movie 2001. Oh, Alex touches the monolith, and instead of gaining supreme intelligence, like you do in 2001, he gets shocked, and the wire food team has to yank on his wire because he goes flying backwards into the water. Uh, and then, ladies and gentlemen... Out of the monolith, a sky beam. A giant laser shoots into the sky. We're only two weeks out from Avengers being in theaters, and already we're doing giant beams into the sky. I know Avengers is blamed with creating that trope, but here Battleship is doing it. This giant laser in the sky forms a protective cocoon around Hawaii. It's a pretty cool look. Like, we go to space and look at the big bubble barrier. It looks kind of fun. Like, yeah, it's like Bubble Boy. It's like if Bubble Boy was the entire state of Hawaii. And that's fun. Uh, uh, You might remember this uh, fucking Bubble Boy, Bubble Hawaii scenario from the Simpsons movie, as it was also used in that, by the way. That just popped into my head. So the three ships that we've been talking about, the three destroyers, are stuck inside the bubble with Hawaii and the alien ships, but the rest of the Navy is in the Pacific outside of the bubble. It's like the wrestling bubble. So only goddamn Liam Neeson, the red-blooded American, knows how to run a business. You're in the goddamn wrestling bubble, Vincent McMahon. Ah, Liam Neeson! Ah, you know, it's nice to meet you. Here on the set of Battleship, you're outside the bubble, I'm outside the bubble. What's this about a wrestling bubble, Liam Neeson? I mean, I think the two good, full, uh, meat-eating, red-blooded Americans can get together and discuss a bubble scenario. Perhaps we should do it after this episode of Junk Man. I'll be there, Concrete Man, and remember, I'm a goddamn red-blooded American. Anywho, uh, some some na- some naval aviators are flying towards the bubble. We'll just call Maverick and Goose, and, and they crash into it and die. So launch the goddamn red alert. 
There's some decent camera work moving back and forth between the barrier, watching everybody scurry around like there's an emergency. I can't lie about that. Inside the barrier, all electronic communication services are down, and the goddamn little patrol boat won't start. Well, that's why you don't send the two-hole boat to do a four-hole boat's job. And now, ladies and gentlemen, introducing the three alien destroyer ships because they pop out of the water. There's some fun designs here on these ships, and they kind of move through the water like frogs, like they take big leaps. Look, I know it sounds stupid, but it doesn't look bad. I'll give it a little bit of credit. I mean, it's typical metal alien transformery CGI, but the movement of the ships is unique enough. Later on, we'll learn that these aliens are a water-based society, kind of. Like, they don't live in water, but they live inside caves that are underwater. So they're not full Aquaman Atlantis type people here, all right? They're not breathing underwater, but they live underwater in the Earth of Planet G. Now, as these alien ships emerge from the water, folks, I gotta tell you, and I'm not taking sides here, but the aliens do not attack the Navy. I repeat... The aliens do not attack the Navy. Stone says, send out a warning. And sure enough, they blow their horn like their goddamn Kevin Nash in 1995 WWF. The USS Samson's like, So the aliens respond by opening the wings on their ship, and they also make a loud noise. They send out like an echolocation pulse. Now... The problem with this echolocation pulse is that earth ears and earth metals and glass aren't really prepared for a communication this loud. And so a lot of glass on these ships break, and it kind of knocks everybody on their ass because it's very loud, but it literally and figuratively knocks them on their ass. But again, this is not an attack. This is... You made a big noise. Hey, I can make a big noise too. What's going on, big noise guys? Um, Stone orders that the John Paul Jones fire a warning shot, but he says it like this. Signal the John Paul Jones. Fire a warning shot. And at this point, a warning shot is fired. And we get a shot that's from the point of view of the aliens. And we get our first alien visor view. This happens a lot in the movie. You see how the aliens see things through their little visors, and they basically work on a green-red color scheme. If something is green, the aliens just ignore it. But if it's red, the aliens will, like, home in on it, and this loud noise will be like, row, row, row. Get used to that, because it is, if row, row, row bugs you, you're going to hate this movie. But the warning shot is a warning shot. It fires, you know, next to the ship, but it doesn't actually hit anything, okay? The ship, the aliens then jump over the patrol boat in slow motion, and, you know, they're leaping towards the John Paul Jones, because that's where the rocket came from. And folks, the alien wings open up, and they've got some missiles. The aliens have missiles that are shaped... Like the little pegs that you put on the battleship map when you're playing battleship with your buddies. I swear to you, they're cylindrical and they have little pointy pegs on the end. And they glow red when they're in the alien ship. So they're like, hits, hit, hit. Oh, it's battleship. 
Now, is it dumb? Nah. But here's the thing. You're adapting Battleship. And I make fun of a lot of things on Junkman. A lot. That's my job. However, I appreciate the creative ways that the writing team that were stuck with taking the Beacon Project and turning it into Battleship use the Battleship game, and this is one of them. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, the aliens open fire. I mean, they've been fired on, right? They launch, the JPJ launches countermeasures, but they miss, and the pegs, the peg missiles land, and they, poop, poop, they push into the deck, and boom, they explode. The captain of the John Paul Jones, who's pretty much unnamed, is dead. We've got some goddamn red-blooded American casualties, which means it's time for war. The patrol boat starts to magically work, and Rihanna unloads her Gatlin gun. She's like, "Ah, Rihanna, I've got a Gatlin gun! This, of course, is a big mistake, because they start shooting on the patrol boat, that being the alien's pronouns, pal. Stone sees this, and he's like, oh no, that's my brother. I want to order the USS, I want a Dr. Samson. Fly me to the moon like that bitch Alice Gramden, because it's hard being black and gifted. Sometimes I want to throw it all down and get lifted. He orders that ship to go and rescue the patrol boat, and the Samson starts firing, and they hit, they hit the alien ship. But then the aliens turn for the John Paul Jones, and they, they target the Samson. Stone is on the poop deck and he's like, Mother! And ba-boom, ladies and gentlemen! The aliens hit the USS Samson with like 50 of their pegs. The USS Samson explodes and that is a wrap on Alexander Skarsgård. He died as he lived, disappointed in his little brother's actions. Uh, Now at this point though, ladies and gentlemen, because the Samson was firing on them, the aliens stop attacking. They do not attack any further at this point. Alex gets back to the John Paul Jones with Rihanna and Beast, and, and he's like, Hey, what's going on? Who's in charge here? Well, the captain and the XO are dead, sir. Oh, no, who's in charge? Well, you are, Mr. Kirk. And I say that because this is the same thing that happened in the 2009 Star Trek film when Captain Pike gets taken by the Romulans. Don't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it happen. This script is derivative of that because, folks, goddamn Gambit Taylor Kitsch is now in charge because everyone above him is dead. Unlike Kirk, though, Alex is frozen in place and completely petrified. Jesse Plemons is like, I need an order, sir. Sir, I really need an order, sir. And Gambit makes his decision. I want a full attack. (laughs) And Jesse Plevins is like, really, sir? So the goddamn John Paul Jones starts loading up all their missiles. The Japanese boats, like, seriously? You guys are going to try to fight the aliens? So the Japanese fire on the aliens to protect the John Paul Jones. And again, big mistake, as my friend Jack Slater would say. Because the aliens shoot their missiles, and guess what? It's a hit! You've sunk my USS Japanese battleship! Because, the what was it, the Moacus? That ship is down and literally sinking in the ocean. The John Paul Jones is the only ship left standing, but they can't lock on with the radar. The weapons aren't working, so Alex orders ramming speed! He wants to ram the goddamn aliens with the John Paul Jones. 
Thank God Beast is like, Sir, there are sailors in the water! And Alex finally snaps out of it. You know, he's just angry with bloodlust because they killed his stone. But he orders to help the Japanese sailors that are in the water. And they do. They go rescue him. And again, the Japanese, or excuse me, the alien destroyers back off. They're like, all right, you're not attacking me. I'm not going to attack you. But they have some some stuff they need to get taken care of. So the mothership launches what I'm calling a couple of blade balls out onto the mainland. Now, they shoot these spheres that, like, spin and drive. They're like sentient robots, kind of. They have giant fucking blades on them. And, and you know, when I say blades... I'm not talking about, like, swords. These are legitimate, like, buzzsaws. Like, they have motors and shit. Uh, You know, kind of like something you would use for, like, future alien construction or something like that. I don't really know how to describe it. So that's why I've described it as, as blade balls, if you will. And they go, like I said, they go to the mainland. And, uh, well, they start to... They start to rip through, like, military installations... Uh, and they're not, again, these things have the little green, uh, red vision as well. They don't attack humans at all. They destroy jets and, you know, weaponry and what have you. Stuff that could hurt them. But there are, of course, human collateral damage in this. Because when jets explode and people are standing next to it, you know, the people go boom, boom, too. Okay, but again... They're not killing people directly. Now, it's very Transformers-like because these blade balls sometimes have, like, tails or little arms that smack people away that go to attack them to defend themselves. I don't know. It's kind of weird. And then we cut to the mainland. And, folks, this is something I hate in disaster movies, okay? Where we get to meet a couple of characters that are not important and we meet them for just a minute as the town's getting destroyed. It's kind of like like we see this these little kids playing Little League Baseball. And we see a mom stuck in traffic with her kids. And we meet these characters because I think the movie is supposed to say, Hey, you know what? A bunch of funky shit's going to go down. People are going to die. But don't worry. The kids playing Little League and the mom stuck in traffic will be fine. But what about everybody else? Sure enough, these blade balls land on the Little League field. We see a little girl at the baseball game watching uh, the game, having a, a, a fucking soda from Subway. I'll tell you what, folks. If your big summer movie has a promotional tie-in with Subway of all fast food joints, that's a problem right fucking there. But the blade ball rushes up to the kid who's batting, and the blade ball can't move forward. Like, it tries to. It's like... Like, it's kind of like when Robocop tries to kill someone that works for OCP. Like, he can still move, but the system starts to shut him down. This blade ball is trying to move forward, but its programming won't let it. So it's not going to kill humans, man. I mean, I'm starting to think that if we hadn't fired on the aliens to begin with just to warn them... I mean, this... Is a warning shot really a good idea? Uh, the blade balls, you know, don't kill the kid in the Little League game, but they do destroy the highway that the mom and her kids are on. But don't worry. The mom and the kids in the car that we met for one second are okay. They don't die. But I believe what they do is they cut off the roads that lead to the military institution. Again, 
There are human casualties here, but this is a big game of defense, okay? The defensive coordinator called the play, and this was the play. The government doesn't know what to do about it. We see a radar shot of the barrier that's surrounding Hawaii and a little bit of the Pacific. Wait a minute! I didn't I didn't write a note about this when they were at the Little League game, but if if, if the giant barrier is surrounding the mainland... You're telling me that the goddamn Hawaii Little League organization didn't call the game due to laser barrier. Oh, you know, I didn't see any lightning with that laser barrier, so we're going to keep playing play ball. Come on, kids, play ball. It's a goddamn American pastime. We're barely a goddamn American state out here in Hawaii. You know, I know we are a state, but we're the last state. We're number 50, and, and, you know, we got baseball here finally out in the islands of Hawaii. And I'm a goddamn American blood, red-blooded uh, baseball umpire. We're going to play the goddamn red, uh, red-blooded American baseball game. It's on. Play the game. I don't care if there's a blade ball. You're going to play. Strike. Strike. I got guys running first and second. That blade ball ain't going to get him out. You better get him out, kidster. But the government doesn't know what to do to help out. Uh, they're like, well, uh, sir, we have three destroyers that are uncounted for inside the barrier. Who's on that ship? Smash cut to Taylor Kitsch looking around at all the injured sailors like, my God, what have we done? Well, you should be asking, my God, what have I done? Because this is your fault, buddy. On the mountain, uh, an alien transport lands at the communication satellite bunker where the real rejects are. Mick and Brooklyn Decker see this. We see some alien ground troops in basically Halo Spartan armor invade the combuck bunker. Probably not here to kill anybody because the satellites are in green on their little heads-up display. They're not in red. They just wanted to use the satellites. Maybe they need to call home. Some cops show up, and they're like, Hey, get off this mountain, you you goddamn physical therapist. Wait a minute. You said you're a physical therapist. How come you're just wearing a sports bra? That's not what physical therapists wear to work. Oh, you're hiking. That's okay. But get off this mountain. And we do see the cops get attacked by the aliens, but... We just see the aliens punch their car to stop it, and then we fade to black and the cops scream. So the cops probably got killed for firing on the aliens, I'm assuming. Smash cut back to the the USS John Paul Jones all alone in the water as nighttime is approaching. Alex is in the bathroom, like, throwing water on his face, like, oh man, I'm the captain now. And he's looking at a picture. In this picture, we see him and Brooklyn Decker hanging out with Stone and another lady. Who is Stone's lady friend? We never hear about a lady friend. We never talk to a lady friend. She's not even listed in the credits, man. And I'm supposed to cry for this, for Stone and his lady friend? I'm not crying. He takes a nice deep breath and slow motion walks to the bridge. You know, because he's the captain now. He ends up in, like, an engineering area where the crew's like, Well, sir, we captured an alien. And here he is. And the alien, of course, is still wearing all his armor and shit like that. They have a throwaway line that one of the alien troop carriers crashed and they fished this body out of the water. But but come on, two things here. Show that happening. Because I was really thrown through a loop. Like, did I miss a part where they capture an alien? And number two, I'm starting to think these aliens can't drive for shit. Now, we get an action set piece here, and I'm going to go through it quick. Because honestly, when we fight this alien hand-to-hand 
on the ship. Like, I'm completely uninterested. The only unique thing this movie really has going for it is the naval ship-to-ship combat. And that's not a battleship joke. It's just that that stuff was interesting. Like, the action scene from earlier was fun. So, long story short, the alien wakes up. He, he tosses people around, but he doesn't really attack unless they attack first. So, like, Rihanna shoots him, so he throws Rihanna, as an example. Uh, eventually, he gets to the engine. And he tries to destroy the ship's engine. Again, a defensive maneuver. But he gets in a fight with Beast. And then he gets in a fight with Alex. And then he gets in a fight with Rihanna. They hunt him throughout the ship. It takes a really long time. Again, long story short, the alien chases Alex up to the poop deck. And Rihanna runs to her gun. Because she controls like one of the guns. The big, giant, fucking battleship destroyer guns. And... Alex and the alien are standing, like, near it, but not in front of it. So Rihanna's, like, trying to move her gun into position. Hey, what do you think Rihanna says to herself when she's trying to move the gun into position? I'll give you a second. That's right. She says, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Finally, the gun gets into position. It makes a little clicking noise. The alien turns around. Alex runs for his life. And Rihanna delivers a mic drop, question mark? Mahalo, motherfucker! Boom! Because there's a giant gunshot that cuts off the word fucker. And when I say a giant gunshot, I mean she shoots this alien with an anti-aircraft gun. It's kind of fun. But shades of motherfucking PG-13, live free or die hard. When Bruce Willis says, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, because it's PG-13, it's yippee-ki-yay, mother gunshot. Again, we cut off motherfucker with a gunshot, and it pisses me off so bad. Back on the mountain, uh, the aliens see Mick, they see Brooklyn Decker, they see the real rejects guy, they don't attack him. So again, these aliens might not be killers. The Pentagon figures out that the aliens are trying to use the satellite dish in Hawaii to call home, since the ship that was in Hong Kong is confirmed as a communications ship. So again, these aliens are just looking for help, man. They went on vacation to this planet that was calling them, like, hey, come visit Earth, it's fun, have a few beers, have a couple cocktails, go out to the coast. Um, so they just need help. But the guy from the Real Rejects assumes that they're calling to summon a full-scale invasion fleet, but he's got no proof! He's got no proof. Back on the USS John Paul Jones, Jesse Plemons is trying on the alien's helmet from earlier. And he's like, hey, Gambit, Captain Gambit, sir, uh, this helmet, I put it on, and it reminded me of my pet lizard. Her name's Penelope the Third, Because that's funny. Basically, he's discovered that the aliens hate the sunlight. Because this visor blocks out, like, all the sunlight. At this point in the world, we know a little bit about the aliens now. We want to see how the real world is reacting to this full-scale first contact. And we get an MSNBC broadcast because Universal owns NBC. And they've used a computer to recreate, at least the filmmakers have, to take a speech from President Obama, who was the United States president at the time. He's like, uh, uh, America, well, like they've cut it together to be serious. Like, uh, America, we're not sure what's happened in Hawaii, uh, but we're sending the full resources of the government. I'm asking you to please maintain control. But you know it would be different in the real world because President Obama was kind of laid back. Uh, America, uh, we know some things. There are some things happening in Hawaii. And things are changing. And I promise this. I promise change. Change is hard. Uh, but I'm going to sit here. 
my goddamn Marlboro Reds, and I'm going to watch the change take place, America. Just stick back. Everything will be fine. I fucking miss President Obama, man. I really do. But around the world, there's civil unrest, and some countries have instituted martial law, if anybody fucking cares. The Secretary of Defense is like, Oh, command me, Liam Neeson! But he calls Liam Neeson, and he's like, We need to get some aircrafts past that barrier bubble. And Liam Neeson is not having it. He's like, you know, God damn it. I sent up red-blooded American pilots to that force field, and I'm not going to sacrifice any more goddamn Americans unless you get down here and fly the plane yourself. Kind of a boss move. It's full nighttime now, and the real rejects tell Brooklyn Decker and Mick that the aliens only have one shot to use the satellite to call home. Because the satellite only lines up at 8.43 a.m., which is five hours from right now, so we have a ticking clock. Now it's time to get to what we all came for. On the USS John Paul Jones, they're using some paper maps, some analog maps, but they can't find a way to track the alien ships. However, fucking WCW superstar Captain Yuji Nagata has a plan. And folks, I'm telling you, this is really what you fucking came for. This is it. At least it's what I came for. It's what I've always remembered from this movie that one time I saw it. And uh, can confirm upon rewatch, it's the best part of the movie and my favorite part. It's a little cheesy, but it's what I came for. It's definitely the best known part of the movie. So Yuji Nagata says we can track the aliens using the buoy system that's in place around Hawaii that warns against potential tsunamis. Now, it's a really old system. It kind of looks like it's a DOS prompt, and they they bring it up on all the big screens on the ship. And the U.S. troops are kind of looking at Gambit like, Hey, this guy's from Japan. This is a goddamn U.S. ship. And Alex is like, My chair is his chair. My brother would have wanted wanted the same thing done. So Alex is growing as a character. That's fun. But all the buoys show up on screen, and it's they're just little dots. And Yuji Nagata is like, Bring up chart plot, which I guess is a system that runs with this. And sure enough, on the giant computer screens all around the USS John Paul Jones, a grid forms, a little graph, over the pictures of the buoys. And folks, this grid shows the John Paul Jones, the buoys, but more importantly, the columns on this grid have letters. The rows on this grid have numbers. It's the goddamn battleship map from the actual battleship game. Now, hey, credit where credit is due, man. And I mean this. They found a way to incorporate plain fucking battleship into the movie that's called Battleship. You know, they've got the pin missiles over there on the alien ship. Those are fun enough. But the fact that in this fucking segment, we're going to try to attack the aliens using the battleship grid. Chef's kiss. I'm sorry. I like it. It's dumb. But I like this type of ingenuity from the screenplay. I really do. So fuck it, man. Let's play some Battleship. (gasps) First, real quick, on the mountain. We have to cut back to them. The real reject guy says that he has a device that can call Hopper on the USS John Paul Jones. Mick makes him go get it. Uh, The dude does encounter a lot of aliens, but they don't attack him at all. All right, let's get back to Battleship. So, uh, uh, some of the buoys start to light up, like... This buoy, and then the one right next to it, and then the one right next to it. Which means the alien ship is causing large waves to hit those buoys, and you can tell what direction they're going in. Rihanna 
gets to her missile station, and the captain starts calling him out. Target, Echo, 1-1, which means E-11 is targeted. Before shooting, they're like, you know, if we fire these missiles, the aliens are going to know where we are, and there's tension, and there's tension. Someone yells, E-11, fire, and my God, they're playing Battleship! E-11, miss. Oh, damn it. It looks like the ship moved out of the way, the aliens that are, and the aliens are now moving towards them. Foxtrot, 2-4, F-24, fire, F-24! Miss. Oh, shit. Now the buoys on the other side of the grid are moving. Two alien destroyers are heading towards the John Paul Jones, and they shoot alien peg missiles into the sky. Uh, Gambit orders a full reverse. So the, the fucking USS John Paul Jones starts backing up. Beep. 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 And the alien pegs. Miss. Woo. India, 3-7, I-37, loaded, I-37, fire, Romeo, 2-6, Romeo, 2-6, R-26, loaded, R-26, fire, I-37, hit, R-26, hit, my god, you sunk my alien battleships, woo, USA, USA, USA. So, the USA still has one ship, hot and ready to fire, the John Paul Jones, and the aliens have two ships left. They've got that mothership monolith that's still underwater, and they've got one destroyer left. Thank God now that Brooklyn Decker is able to get a hold of Alex on the phone, and you guys got to blow up this communications ray before 8.43. Baby, I know about all that, pretty pretty, but how are you, baby? How are your titties? Are they still doing all right? I love them so much, baby. so good to hear from you. Hey, baby, remember we were in Tijuana and we did that thing with the butt? Oh, pretty pretty, if we get out of this, can I do more butt stuff with you? Wait a minute, though. A buoy alarm is going off. The third alien destroyer is incoming. Tango 1-9, Tango 19 loaded. Whoa, whoa, wait, hold it. Adjust to whiskey. Whiskey 2-5, W-2-5. Wait a minute. See, the ship is moving very erratically. So Alex comes up with a plan to drive them into the sun. The John Paul Jones sets up a course for where the sun's about to rise. It's dangerously close to land, but luckily Jesse Plemons is driving this fucking boat, man. He knows what's up. The aliens are closing in fast. So Yuji Nagata and Alex go up to the poop deck. I just love saying poop deck. And they've got some big-ass sniper rifles, like it's the Sniper Wolf level of Metal Gear Solid. And they blow out the windows of the third alien ship. The aliens are like, oh shit, I can't see! And, you know, they fucking blow up the ship. Alright, they light them up, somebody yells. I mean, it's just, you know, we get slow-mo bullet casings falling, you know, poop, 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 poop slow-motion missiles. Uh, you know, you just sunk my last alien battleship. We even get a dude celebrating this. He's up on the deck of the John Paul Jones, and he's just some rando, but he does like a crotch chop in slow motion. It's glorious. But wait a minute. Don't celebrate too fast, because the mothership launches some more blade balls. And fuck me sideways, ladies and gentlemen. The John Paul Jones is no longer for this world, as it starts going down. Rihanna rescues Jesse Plemons, so don't worry. Yuji Nagata and Alex do the Jack and Rose from Titanic because the ship, you know, it starts sinking. And, you know, it, it sinks like the Titanic. And they climb up to the top and look over and see the propellers. Uh, two propellers on this fucking boat, by the way. So eat that, James Cameron. Uh, 
they jump for it. They don't get cut up by the propellers, and they don't get pulled down to the depths of the ocean by the well of suction created from the ship going down. Okay. Yeah, that's science. Whatever. You know, they played Battleship in the movie, so I will forgive them this cinema sin. Uh, back on the mountaintop, Brooklyn Decker and Mick and the real reject, they see the ships going down, and so they're like, well, we better start contributing to the movie and blow up the satellite so it doesn't call. But the real reject guy quits. He's like, you guys, go blow it up. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And it is true. The aliens' communication array is all built up and ready to go. They're just waiting for the satellites to align, so they got to do something quick. You know, the John Paul Jones survivors arrive on land. They walk towards the deck and, or excuse me, towards the land, the dock in slow motion. They're all wet. We get a, like water dripping off of everybody. Like, oh, this is so hard. Oh, I'm a hero, but look how tired I am. It can't end like this. What are you talking about, Hopper? We've got we've got no ships left, and we don't have any any way to communicate with anybody. We've got one ship left. And he points to the goddamn USS Missouri from earlier that's now a fucking museum with a gift shop and everything. He spikes the camera and says, We've got a battleship. That thing's a museum, Hopper. Not today. So they say the boat, or the the uh, the USS Missouri, the battleship of the movie, battleship, it's like 70 years old, the firing systems are analog, the fucker runs on steam. And they don't have enough crew to make this ship work, and even if they had a manual, it would take forever to learn how to even do everything on here. But wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. The displaced crew of the John Paul Jones is actually standing on the Missouri now. They're on the deck, and they're debating whether or not they can use it. And out of nowhere, do you remember the war vets from the ceremony at the very beginning? They start appearing on the ship, coming out of, like, areas of the ship and, like, coming down the steps. And they're suddenly visible up on, like, the fucking observatory deck. Do they live here? Why were, we need to take better care of our vets if they do, but why were they already here? Why were they in hidden compartments of the ship? Were they already getting this bad boy ready to go? And you know what? It's ridiculous because they come out one at a time. Like they're all putting their name in the hopper to be Stone Cold Steve Austin's tag partner of the summer of 97. That scene from Raw where it's like, my God, who's going to be the partner? It's Kit Shamrock. Wait a minute, that's the Patriot. Oh, it's Sacco's Shawn Michaels. Who's going to be the partner? And then they form up and walk towards the camera in slow motion. These old fuckers get a hero slow motion shot. Why can't I get a hero slow motion walk? Alex is like, oh, hey, pretty, pretty, how you guys doing? Hey, you men have given so much of your country. I love you guys so much. And no one has the right to ask any more of you, but can I borrow your boat? Thunder! Thunder! And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I think the old fucker said yes because ACDC's Thunder starts playing. And we legitimately get a let's clean up the boat and get it in shape montage. Do you remember the respect this movie gained for me when they played Battleship? It's all out the window now. Uh, one of the old guys actually invites Rihanna into the weapons room to show her how it works. Nope, that's not happening. These guys, these guys don't want Rihanna in there, okay? She's got a vagina and she's black. Nope, these guys are not inviting her in. Yeah, maybe they are, I don't know. And you know, gosh, I, I know that this... 
This might sound a little too nitpicky, okay? But it's well established that this Missouri battleship is, is a, it's been a museum, it's been decommissioned, etc, etc, etc. And, I mean, there's ammo on this boat? Because they start loading up ammunition and missiles and shit, and I'm just like, I don't know. I'm almost willing to forgive this, though. And, and you folks will have to be the judges, because during the montage, we get a pretty funny moment. It's either a moment of complete classlessness, or it's a hilarious meta joke. During the montage, there's a veteran gentleman of definitely Asian heritage. And he's talking to another old guy, and he said that this is the first guy of Asian heritage. Are we really firing on Oahu? Well, looks like it. Holy shit! <laughs> it's just what he says. Like, oh my god, we did it! <laughs> sure enough, though, the boys here at Lambda, Lambda, Lambda get their house cleaned up, and uh, the Alpha, Beta show, boy, that's Revenge of the Nerds. No, the Navy cleans up the boat, and we're ready to go. We're in the water, heading to Destiny. They're five minutes away from the communication system. But on the way to the communication system, it's time for the final battle. Because the mothership is now in visual range. It appears the mothership has moved locations. And finally, the mothership emerges from the depths of the ocean. It's a big boy. It has so many peg missiles. It's like if you were playing Battleship with four other people and you stole all their red pegs, you still wouldn't have enough. Alex and Yuji Nagata are on the poop deck watching the mothership. And finally, Alex has a moment... Uh, you know, I, all we're missing is the light bulb above his head. See, earlier, earlier Alex made fun of Yuji Nagata's plan to use the buoy system and play Battleship. He's like, this better not be some Art of War bullshit. To which Yuji Nagata, of course, replies, that's Chinese. Anywho, back to this. Alex looks at Yuji and he's like, hey, pretty, pretty. The Art of War! And he's like, the Art of War? What are you talking about? Alex orders that we start target, like we turn the guns to fire away from the aliens. Then he orders the boat to turn hard left, and the aliens have to reposition as well. But repositioning the mothership takes a little bit of time. Eventually, the, the ship, you know, does sort of get repositioned. But the missiles, like the turret, the missile turrets on the alien mothership, they can't turn as far as they need to to hit where the battleship is now. They decide, that being the aliens, pronounce pow to go ahead and launch their missiles for where they think the Missouri is going to be in a few seconds. But Alex drops anchor, there's a momentum shift, and the aliens miss! The Missouri has stopped dead in the middle of the ocean. Who knew that this lazy, no-good chicken burrito thief that's a poor excuse for Gambit would become a goddamn red-blooded American seaman? We decide to edit ourselves again as the big action set piece begins. An old man yells, Let's drop some lead on these, mother fire! Some chunky guitars start riffing. There's all sorts of explosions. Uh, it, you know, they basically almost destroy the mothership right here due to this art of war maneuver. But some of the pin missiles do connect with the ship and blows up some of the guns on the Missouri. But don't worry, fans. Alex yells, hit it! And we fire again. 
We get to see old men manning turret guns and their arm their arms jiggle in slow motion as the bullet casings fall out. It's some Zack Snyder shit, folks. The score of the movie peaks and, and gets to a swell. The barrier goes down as the mothership explodes. Well, Liam Neeson is on this thing. He's been waiting all day to get some action. I want every goddamn red-blooded American jet in the air right now, and that's an order, goddammit. However, at the communication center, the satellite is almost in position. Can we pull through as a species? I don't know, because the satellites are shooting laser beams into the sky. My God, the data stream on these things, man. How much data is being transmitted to generate lasers? Well, folks, Brooklyn Decker and Mick are here to save today. They jump over a hill in a Jeep while blasting some ACDC. This movie loves ACDC. And they rip through all the power cables that are powering up the alien satellites. So the phone system is down. Don't you hate it when that happens? The Jeep, though, is stuck, and so is Brooklyn Decker. And these humans just turned red on the alien's heads-up display. Mick's all like, I got this. And we get to see him hop out of the Jeep in slow motion as his legs, his prosthesis step out. It's kind of a boss hero moment for this guy. Now, the USS Missouri has only one missile left. Doesn't anyone have any missiles left? And it weighs 1,000 pounds, and the gun that they have to get it into is 500 feet away. How are we going to get it there? Smash cut to literally every idiot in the Navy carried this thing. It's dumb. Mick fights an alien. It's pretty cool. He pulls off the alien's helmet. And it's at this moment I realize I don't think I've said a word about how all the aliens have a goatee that, look, that looks like it's made up of various knives. All right, I talked about it. Now I'm done. Mick uses the power of believing in himself, but the aliens go for the legs. Oh, boo! That is a cheap fucking shot. But since the alien doesn't have his helmet on, he can't see anything because the sun's in his eyes. And wouldn't you know, the real reject guy comes back. He hits the alien. Uh, Alex orders Rihanna to get to the gun turret because Rihanna's the only character that we know that can fire guns. The aliens are trying to fix the cables. The real reject rescues Mick and the Brooklyn Decker, and they all run off to safety. Rihanna aims the gun. The missile is loaded, but the mothership is back up. It shoots three more blade balls. What are we going to do? Do we shoot the blade balls and save ourselves, or do we shoot the communications array and save the planet? Fire on the communications array! Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I don't mean to make it sound like it sounded cool, but that's just what happens. The rockets are away. They blow up the communications. The blade balls are about to hit and destroy the Missouri, but they start to explode. It's the goddamn red-blooded naval aviators! They blow up the balls. They save the Missouri. Yay. We literally smash right to an epilogue. It's a ceremony. Liam Neeson is giving medals to Rihanna, to Beast, Yuji Nagata, Jesse Plemons. Even Mick gets one. Uh, in, 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 we, they offer a post-mortem award to uh, Stone. Uh, the Navy Cross is being awarded to Stone Hopper. Posthumously, Alex Hopper will be accepting the award. And as they give the award to Alex, he looks at it. And there's a picture of Alexander Star- Skarsgård, and he looks pissed like... You goddamn son of a bitch. I died and you didn't. 
Anywho, Alex goes to leave, but they give him a silver star. And Liam Neeson's like, good work, son. Soon you're going to have your own ship. You're not actually getting kicked out of the Navy. And all is well! Sure, the human race now knows that aliens exist. The world fell apart. There was martial law everywhere. But these guys got some medals! Brooklyn Decker and Alex celebrate with a kiss. He's all like, all right, baby, I saved the world. Uh, pretty, pretty, should I talk to your dad now? Because he's right over there. And he does. Sir, I love Sam. I'm asking for permission to marry your daughter. Hmm. No. Oh, thank you, sir. What? It's my... Hey, what you say, pretty, pretty? Come on, man, I saved the world. Saving the world is one thing. My daughter is quite another. And no means no. I'm late for lunch. I think I'll be having... A chicken burrito. Come along now, Hopper. We will discuss terms of your surrender. Over a meal. The two bros walk away. Fortunate son starts to play. Oh my god. I know fortunate son. The end. Okay. Alright, we're done with this. Was the movie junk? I will say this, big budget disaster movies like this usually spend a lot of time on side characters that eventually will contribute to the plot, and this movie does that. Mick, Brooklyn Decker, the real rejects, Liam Neeson to a certain extent, even the people in the the Pentagon, although the Pentagon people disappeared about halfway through this movie, so they didn't even fucking count. I'll say this, the movie looks good, and it doesn't spend too much time with these side characters boring me. I appreciate it the naval-to-naval ship combat because it's something I haven't seen a lot of. And like I said, the movie looks great. Like, it's aged well. The effects are fine. Uh, You know, I I have no problem with it. The aliens are so ill-defined. These guys were innocent, man. They didn't do anything, and we invited them. Like, I got a real problem with how quickly this fucking thing gets wrapped up because it just... This movie wants to use aliens, but it doesn't want to use aliens. I I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the deal is here with this shit. However, big ups to Joey Numbers, but also big ups, more importantly, to the screenwriters for finding a way to actually incorporate Battleship into Battleship. I'm telling you, it, and your mileage may vary on that scene, but... It's kind of like how Greta Gerwig and her partner were able to make Barbie work. Like, I'm really surprised they were able to make some of the things about Battleship actually play in this movie and be entertaining. So, a massive respect to these people. Because no one no one wakes up in the morning, or no one's born into this world thinking, I'm going to write the movie for that board game I play. Nobody, nobody wants to be the person that writes Battleship. But the people that wrote it at least figured out a way to make it feel like Battleship. But at the end of the day, I think the movie's kind of junk. None of the characters here are interesting. And Taylor Kitsch, like, I, I just can't handle the the idiot that falls upward. Like, that fails upward. And it, I just, I can't do that. It doesn't work for me, especially... In a, in a situation like this, where there's lots of goddamn red-blooded American naval seamen more talented than this fucking gambic wannabe. Why don't you marry Wolverine, daughter? <sighs> He's a goddamn red-blooded Canadian. Never mind. All right, you can marry Alex Hopper. 
Well, folks, this is Liam Neeson. Just wanting to thank you all for listening to the new TNN's 200th episode, supporting my good friend Johnny C., who's an honest to Betsy, goddamn red-blooded American. Make sure you listen to the new TNN podcast and tell all your friends about it. He's Johnny C., I'm Liam Neeson, and a winner is you. Well, Liam Neeson, thank you for that. Uh, I don't really have anything to add to it. Uh, He's Liam Neeson. I'm Johnny C. And now, a winner is you. And thank you so much for 200, man. Let's do fucking 600 more. That's a lot. Maybe not that bad. We'll see you guys next time. I don't know why I said it like that next time. I'm a dead. I'm a dead.